Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a text that begins in verse 24 here in just a moment. Uh, This morning, I want you to understand we're going to be jumping between Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7, but our primary time will be in the 7th chapter. Last week in Mark 7, we looked at a passage where Jesus challenged us to move from those uh, activities we do that try to get God's attention to focusing our lives on those things that come from our heart that already have God's attention. And we learned that what Jesus was telling us is that our traditions aren't necessarily uh, what he's after. He's after the heart that responds to these activities. It's how we live our lives in response to him and not just trying to get that attention. You see, in the first seven chapters of the Gospel of Mark, where we're going to be spending our time this morning, uh, the question in front of us is, who is Jesus? Then Mark begins to answer that question. We go to the second question is, how do you then relate to someone like him? So throughout this series of the Gospels that we've been looking at, you know that we've learned that Jesus has revealed himself through miracles and through teachings, that God has affirmed him vocally at his baptism, that this is my son, listen to him. And by knowing who he is, then the question of the morning becomes, how do we respond to him? So how do you relate to someone as powerful, as awesome, as insightful as Jesus? How do you approach him with the request? How do you ask anything from him without fearing for your life? I think there's two primary approaches. One, we approach Jesus like our dad. You know, it's a negotiation. We bargain with him. Hey, dad, if I can have the car, then for the next four Saturdays, I will. And we're hoping that by offering him something of equal value, he will give us something of value. The other way we can approach Jesus is like I would approach my grandma. I knew how much my grandma loved me, so I had no hesitation if I went to her because her love would want to give me whatever I wanted. Unfortunately for both of us, for all of us, that's not how you approach Jesus. You don't have to bargain, and you don't simply go to him assuming that he will give you anything you want because he just loves you so much. You approach Jesus differently. Let's look at our text today and find out how do we approach Jesus. Beginning in verse 24 of Mark chapter 7. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. This woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now what I want to do here is I want to pause and read what Matthew says in Matthew 15 in the same story and interject it into here. A Canaanite woman came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. Now back to Mark chapter 7, verse 27. Jesus continues, first let the children eat all they want. He told her, for it is not right to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
Then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. See, Jesus had spent most of his time ministering in the Jewish regions. The crowds were overwhelming. The demands were overwhelming. And many times Jesus would escape from the crowds to quiet places to rest, to seek God's will, and to pray for strength. He now enters into a Gentile territory, and many scholars believe he entered into this territory away from the Jews to get away from the crowd. But it didn't work. The people heard about his being there, and they went to where he was regularly. And a woman, in this Gentile territory, a woman approaches him boldly. Well, why was it bold for her to come and ask for help? Well, she's Syrophoenician, which is a neighbor in the Judean area, So she would have known all the Jewish customs. And she would have known that she did not have the religious, moral, social, or cultural credentials to approach a Jewish rabbi. She was taking a massive risk by going to him against all social norms. First of all, she was a Phoenician Gentile, not a Jew. She was a pagan, not a God worshiper. She was a woman, not a man. Her daughter wasn't sick, but had taken in a demon with an unclean spirit, so chances are what had happened to this young lady was something she had chosen. You see, all I want to tell you this morning is she was simply disqualified in every possible way from talking to this Jewish rabbi, yet she came anyway. Without invitation, she came into his presence. In fact, Matthew tells us she kept on begging. That's the the language he uses. She didn't just ask once. She asked over and over and over. Matthew also records, having been there, that the disciples went to Jesus and said, please, make her stop. Many years ago, it reminds me of the time when our youngest son, Braden, was about 18 months of age. And we had gone to my brother's house in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for his birthday party. And it's about a 90-minute drive from where we live to my brother's house in Grand Rapids. And we went, and it was just a great day altogether. Beautiful weather, played wiffle ball, all the boys played. And there was good food, and it was a lot of fun. But we, we got Braden's body clock messed up. And it was more than his temperament can handle. He didn't get a nap that day, and he needed a nap. And he was being wound up by his cousins. He was full of birthday treats. And getting him to get back into his car seat and be strapped down for the 90-minute ride home was the match that lit his explosives. For every second of that 90-minute trip back from Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, that child cried, he screamed, He squealed. He let God and the entire universe know he was having none of this. Now, I want to tell you, that's not Braden's temperament. He really is a sweet kid, and he's always been just a good-natured, happy little boy, but that, that little boy didn't return on that trip home. He was left in Grand Rapids. To say that Heather, 12-year-old Alex, and myself were quiet is an understatement. Nothing worked. Nothing that had worked in the past had worked that night. Everything we tried... No distractions, no humor, no threats, no sing-alongs, no bribing, nothing. Now, we're a family that has a real strong peace tendency. We want peace and no drama. It may be the motto of our home. And this was a horrible experience. I drove fast enough to get pulled over because I think deep down inside I was hoping the cops would pull me over and then I would mouth off to the cop and he would take me to jail and at least there, it'd be quiet. Anyway... Heather's son was relentless. And as many of you seasoned parents figured out, about one mile from our home, he finally fell asleep. 
and everything in the car for the first time in 90 minutes was quiet. We were all spent. We were all so tired. We pulled into the driveway. We opened the garage door. We looked at each other, and then 12-year-old Alex from the back seat, with tears in his eyes, said these words, he's demon-possessed. And I didn't correct him, because at that moment, I wasn't really sure. You see, the disciples come to Jesus, and this woman is relentless. She's crying out. She's begging. She won't be told no. She will not take no for an answer. She's pleading and pleading over and over with Jesus without interruption. Why is she so bold? Because her child is suffering. When your child's going over a cliff, you'll do whatever it takes to stop it. It, You don't care what Peter or Thaddeus or Judas or Matthew think. Her first response is not surprising. She's a good mom. She cares about her daughter, and she just wants peace for her daughter. But it's her second response that's history-changing. It's the reason I believe that Mark told us this story. Jesus says to her in verse 27, First let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Has, has he gotten to the point that I was that night in the car? Is he so tired that he lost his composure? Did he actually insult this woman by calling her a dog because she was a woman and not a Jew? Or is it possible that this was a parable? If you understand what Jesus did was tell her a parable, you know, a parable is a metaphor, it's a likeness. This is like that. This is what parables tell us. What I'm talking to you about is a lot like this. So Jesus presents a parable to her. But to call someone a dog is a terrible insult especially in the culture in which Jesus lived. Dogs weren't household pets. They weren't these beloved things that we have today. Yet, in my research, I found something fascinating. I was informed that Jesus uses a word for dog here that actually means puppy. It means someone that the household is taking care of and providing for. So he says to this mother, and and ladies, remember this as we go through it, he's talking to you, a mom, who has a sick child who's being torn apart by a demon. He says, you know how families eat? First the children eat, and then the puppies get fed from what's left. Now let's pause the narrative for a moment and establish some of the details that make sense of this parable. Jesus, in his adult lifetime, as far as we know from Scripture, never left the area of Israel. He didn't go to Greece or Rome. He didn't go all over the world. He didn't go to other nations. He concentrated his entire ministry in the area of of Israel and Judea. He came to show Israel that he was the fulfillment of all that had been promised in the scriptures. From the prophets, the priests, the kings, and the promise to Abraham, all the way back. He was establishing to the Jewish chosen people that he was the Messiah. And when he dies and is resurrected, then he looks at his disciples he says, Now you go with what I've told you into all the world. But he himself stayed in this very tight world to introduce He was telling them there is an order to things, and I have come to Israel first. You see, Jesus did not come to just temporarily stop evil things. He didn't come just to cast out demons and to make unhealthy people healthy. He came to die, and he came to restore eternally through his sacrifice and his kingdom reign all things that sin had stripped from us. So back to the parable. He looks at this woman, and he says, I'm here for Israel. The puppies must not eat before the children. And she says, yes, Lord, but the puppies will eat too, right? She responds to his challenge, and she does it within the parable. 
She uses his story and she says, I understand, but I know who you are. She says, I know I'm not of the tribe of Israel and I don't have a place at your table, but there's more than enough at your table for everyone in the world and I need mine now. She's wrestling with God. She's a female Jacob, if you will. You know, Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And this woman said, I will not leave until you bless me because I know you bless people and I know you have enough for me. She isn't saying I'm as good as any person you have helped or I'm as good as the Jews. But she is saying you are good and your goodness has gone to all people. She isn't saying I'm owed this. She is saying I'm owed nothing, but you reward people based on not what they're owed. And Jesus responds in a good Jewish way, for such a reply, your daughter's healed. And she went home and found her daughter well. How are we to approach Jesus? We're to to approach him knowing who he is. You see, the beauty of this woman's testimony is that she went to him understanding the gospel. She knew the gospel wasn't about her credibility. It wasn't about her morals. It wasn't about her sin. It was about Jesus. And she approached him fully. You and I can never stand before God on on our dignity, on our rights, on our record, or even on our suffering. God owes us nothing. There are two ways for you and I to fail to let Jesus be our Savior. There's two simple ways. One is pride. It's a sense of superiority. This is where we shout out, I'm no dog. Don't you call me a dog. The other is an inferiority complex where we think no one could love me. I'm just a dog. Jesus painted a parable that was beautiful. You want to approach Jesus? You want the gospel to be available to you? Are you interested in what she was, in what Jesus came to offer? Then you approach him completely on who he is and nothing to do with what you are. Ask him for what his nature offers you and watch him respond. Come to Jesus because he's good. Come to Jesus because he's life. Come to Jesus because he's hope. And he by nature will respond to you. It's not in the way you request it, But it's the faith by which you request it. So you want to approach Jesus, you come to him as this woman did, humbling herself, saying, I am open, I am needing you, and you have enough for me. Well, the second question of the morning that I want us to ponder that Mark shows us in this chapter where he's developing who Jesus is and how do we respond to such a man, the second question of the morning is this, why can we approach him that way? Why are we able to come to him knowing who he is and aware of his goodness? Well, let's read verses 31 through 37. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. And he took him aside away from the crowd Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark ends this particular pericope in a unique place. 
to actually understand all that's taken place, we could get lost in the details. But verse 37 is where we're supposed to land. And let me show you why. There are some details that are interesting. Jesus takes the man away from the crowd. He touches his ears. He puts... Uh, he spits, and then he either puts that spit on the man's tongue, or he just spit and touched the man's tongue. There's a lack of clarity there. He looks to the heaven, he sighs, and he commands, be opened, and the man was instantly healed. But what's this all about? He had just healed the demon-possessed girl without even being near her, without contact, without a sigh, without looking to heaven, without spitting, without touching. He just healed her. Jesus is doing all of this not because he needs to, but because the man needs him to. Simply put, Jesus is identifying with this man. He takes him away from the crowd because the man had become a a spectacle. He points toward the heavens because he can't speak to the man. He points toward the heaven and looks toward it to show the power. In the same way that he would stop before raising Lazarus from the dead, he would stop, look to heaven and talk to God and let everybody know where his power came from. You see, this man has never heard the talk about Jesus. Jesus hadn't been in this region before, so the man had never experienced the healing, and Jesus was identifying with him. He looks to the heavens and he sighs. It's an interesting word that Mark will use a few times going forward from this moment. Some translations translate it more accurately as he moaned. The weight of the demands on him, the weight of sin's effects on people he loved and and humanity as a whole, This war on Jesus, it caused him to weep, it caused him to sigh, it caused him to groan. See, there's a deep identification here. This is costing Jesus something to heal this man. And what I I want us as a church to understand is Mark does something very uniquely. Mark says they brought to him a deaf, mute man. He uses the Greek words for deaf, mute that is used only one other place in Scripture. That other place is found in Isaiah chapter 35. Listen carefully or you might miss the point of Mark's story. Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. When we witness the blind seeing, Isaiah says. When we witness the deaf hearing, Isaiah says. When, when we see the mute tongues or we hear the mute tongues shout for joy, Isaiah said, God has come and he has come to save you. But he says, he comes with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Divine retribution. This means that God has come to deal with all of sin, not just our condition, but the cause of our conditions. He's gonna come with this divine retribution. And so we believe that Jesus came, right? Jesus came to send people to hell, that Jesus came to tell us we're wrong. No, no, Isaiah is saying that when he comes, he will come because divine retribution requires him to. Yet instead of bringing divine retribution, Jesus will bear divine retribution on the cross. Jesus claimed his full identity as the Messiah because he can heal the sick, because he can raise the dead, and because he can do these things. But if he doesn't pay the penalty for what you and I deserve, his healings are temporary at best and lacking what we needed. Because Jesus identified with us like that, now we know that we can approach him. 
Timothy Keller says something interesting about this text. He says, the ultimate child of God had to become like a dog so we dogs could become like sons and daughters at the table. For this man's tongue to be loosed, Jesus Christ had to become the lamb who was dumb before his shearers. Interesting take. You see, we approach Jesus because he draws us to himself and he offers himself to each of us to solve our worst problems, our worst fears, and our ultimate desires. If anything but Jesus is the reason for your self-worth, if there is anything more important to you than your identity in Jesus, you are either approaching him with a self-sufficient pride that says, I am no dog, or you're approaching him out of fear and you're saying, I'm only a dog and I don't matter very much. Come to him whether you feel worthy or not. Come because he asks you to. Come because you want to. Come to trade places with him. Come to see him for who he is and receive that hope. A mother came because she needed him. The deaf man didn't know he needed him until he found him. Some of us have come to Jesus because our hearts cry out for him and some of us come to Jesus because we accidentally bumped into others who knew about him and our hearts were awakened and we came to life. Come to him, those of you that are weary, and find rest. He said, my yoke, my work is not too heavy for you because I'll bear the burden of it. See, Mark has told us who he is and now he's identifying how do we approach him. We approach him because he's good. And we can approach him because his goodness through the cross and the power of the resurrection has cleared a path for us to return to him. That's the Jesus we celebrate this morning. That's the one they approached and found life. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.